Jesus, thank you so much that your love is here. And uh, God, you just keep pouring it out on us. And we, we, we don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it, God, but you just keep pouring it out on us. And we're grateful for that today. God, that your love, I thank you, God, that your love is made clear to us and evident to us. And now we just respond to that by opening ourselves wide to everything you want to say, everything you want to do in us over these next few minutes. So God, our desire is to leave here changed. God, we don't want to leave here the same as we came in. God, we want to leave here impacted and changed. So let it be in our hearts. We open ourselves up for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you guys. You can have a seat. I'm Tim. I'm the pastor here. It's great to see you. Open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Hey, we had a 1 Corinthians 13. Go ahead and get your Bibles up and rolling. Uh, don't you guys have a good time at the uh, Vision Banquet Sunday evening? Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed spending time with you guys. It's very obvious that God is up to some big things here in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our city. And the thing is, I'm just really, really blessed to be a part of this very, very cool dynamic body of Christ right here. And I, I honestly, I mean, more and more every Sunday, I feel like it's just like coming home whenever I walk into this place because uh, you guys are family. In fact, scriptures say that you are family. You're not your like family. You are family. And so I want to thank you, just honestly, I just want to thank you for allowing me just to be able to open my heart with you guys last Sunday evening and share the way I did because uh, it's so refreshing to be around people who are just hungry and oozing with passion and you're, you're positive and you're vibrant and full of love and that's that just makes it all so, so worthwhile because there's a lot of God's love in this place. And the reason is because you've actually chosen for there to be a lot of God's love in this place. Hey, how do you like this? Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, I have my crutch here, and now today I'm going to put it beside me on my new crutch holder they prepared for me. <laughs> All right. The reason it's close is because my knee still doesn't want to cooperate. In fact, this week is my three-month anniversary of the great fall, you know, the great fall when I crashed and broke my, my knee. And, and, uh, and then there was RJ to save my day. So thank you, RJ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Uh, but uh, the doctor said that, that uh, I, I should begin, on Friday afternoon, I went to see my, my uh, orthopedic surgeon and said, okay, you should begin to consider transitioning to a cane. I was like, I said, and I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. I would like to skip that step. In fact, in fact, they encouraged, they, they said, oh, we're going to have you fitted for a cane. One, and so they sent the cane people in. That's like, there's a cane crusade. The, you know, these guys come in with this cane, like, oh, let's fit you for. Like, I, you know, I don't know about this. And then I said, well, how much does this cost? Because last time you guys did this, you know, you, you, you put a brace on me, and I got a bill for five hundred dollars. It's like, how much does this cane cost? And like, well, we don't know. Just smiling, we don't know, but you, you know, it's like, well, then I don't want your cane. I, it's like, well, I said, we'll figure it out. They couldn't figure it out. They said, it's an unknown price. It's like, well, then it's not gonna, you're not giving me a cane, all right? So I might use your crutch just a little bit longer, RJ, but uh, but uh, I'm gonna try not to use the cane. We're, we'll see what happens. Hey, but pray for me tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm speaking at the uh, MLK Day luncheon in place of the mayor because she went out of town. So so they, they said, well, let's see, you know, who's who's someone else out there who can talk? So I get to do that. But pray, honestly, that I'll represent uh, Jesus well. Honestly, the truth is, is I want the love of Jesus to shine through me and to be able to flow out. 
Uh, I want God's love to be vibrant and evident. And uh, honestly, I just want to glorify Jesus in everything. In fact, this week we are now in what's called the Mayor's Week of Compassionate Service. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, and I really hope that you guys will be a part of that, a way to find out what's going on. As there are already just scores and scores of posts. If you'll go to the Compassionate Fort Worth, Compassionate Fort Worth uh, Facebook page, there are just constant things being, uh, being put on there of all the opportunities that happen around the city. In fact, I counted this morning. We have 93, guys, this, we've done this. I mean, this is incredible. 93 organizations are now a part of this and about 150 compassion-related activities. Some of you guys and your companies and stuff like that, you're, you're involved as well. It's happening all across Tarrant County this week. I'm so excited. It's just something that started off last summer as a crazy little idea that presented to the mayor has now turned into something really, really wonderful. And the idea is basically this. It was, it was to, to encourage individuals, groups, families, churches, nonprofits, businesses, whatever, to display, quite honestly, the mandate of Jesus, which is in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. We call it the golden rule, which says in everything you do, uh, do it to others as you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. That's the golden rule. And... Uh, my passion is for us to see, honestly, this work that Jesus Christ has commissioned for us to do to be a dominant force in our city. Would you guys agree with me on that? Yeah. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. yeah. See, God has given our church amazing favor uh, and to create and initiate ideas like the Mayor's Week of Service. And so, uh, to be quite honestly, candidly, I just want to put uh, God's love on display as much as I can. And so, so I, I just crave, I, the thing is, I just crave to see that what is in us, which is the spirit of love, be released everywhere, I mean, into the city. And, and I'm, I, I guess I get really passionate about this. I just don't want it to be locked up inside of church buildings. And this desire to let God's love out, I guess it all really started when I was a little, little, little kid, when I was three years old. I, I, it happened in my parents' living room in Montesano, Washington. Any of you guys know where that is? Don't lie, you don't know where that is. All right. It, it, it happened back in about, is it either 68 or 69, somewhere in there? But I clearly recall this. I walked into the living room, and, and I remember seeing my dad sitting there on this wooden rocking chair. And, and curiosity had filled my mind because I kept hearing people at church and hear my dad when he would preach he would talk about having Jesus come into your heart using that terminology because that was actually the popular terminology at the time uh, that described salvation you just need Jesus needed to come into your heart well well you know I, I would have obviously gotten at least to this point where I had asked enough questions about where my heart was if I was going to get Jesus in there and, and and so I knew it was an organ right here in my chest and 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 I'd seen enough pictures in Bibles and in books and and then the flannel graphs, guys, that's before they had videos. They had these things called flannel graphs, and teachers would put there, here's Jesus. And so, but Jesus was a big man. And so I had to figure out how to get that man into here so that I could have eternal life because I didn't want to go to hell. You know, I didn't want him in there. So, so I asked Dad. And I, hey, I went right to the top. Dad was a pastor. Hey, it was a good deal. So I clearly recall Dad picking me up and putting me on his lap because I was driven by curiosity. I would love to say I was driven by conviction of the awful sins that had accumulated in my life over those three and a half years of my existence, but it really wasn't that. Uh, but I, I came and I sat on my father's lap and I asked Dad how Jesus got inside. 
because my most logical thought was, and as, as I explained to dad, was that I had to open your mouth really, really wide to get him in there, you know? And dad, without laughing or poking fun at my three-year-old logic, uh, he simply explained to me that, that all we did is we prayed to Jesus and his Holy Spirit just simply came into our lives. I thought, well, good, I want that, because I was actually quite relieved that I, that I wouldn't have to contort my jaw to, to get Jesus into my life. And so, so I eagerly asked Jesus to forgive all of my sins and the horrible iniquities of a three-and-a-half-year-old and to take my life, and he did, and he put his Holy Spirit in me right at that moment. I, I, I don't recall the actual words that Dad had me pray, but I, I do recall this. I recall that after we had prayed, that tears had filled my eyes, and I haven't asked my dad about this recently. He said, oh yeah, absolutely, I remember that. And, and I, cause, because I f there was a feeling that I felt. It was, it was just this very clear sense that something had changed on the inside. And in my little brain, I thought, hmm, okay, I'm okay with this. And then I jumped right back down and went right back into my room and I started playing with Legos. I think I may have built a Lego church at that point. I don't know, I don't know what I did with the Legos, but I remember going back to my room to play with Legos. But the truth is, at that point in my life, I began I became full of the love of God. And throughout life, the truth is, I'm blessed to say that I've been surrounded by love. Honestly, I never have doubted the love of my dad and mom. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. That's, 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 that's rare for a lot of people, but I'm grateful for that. Now, the love of some of my siblings, you know, I, I don't know about that from time to time, if that, all that's been there. But, but the truth is, the love of God has been a dominant force in my life, and I've been surrounded by it. And I'm telling you guys, if you've not tried it, it's a great way to live. Uh, I, I love my family. I love Rebecca and Preston and Devin and Ian. And one of the things we work with even in the household is to keep love at the center of our family, regardless of whether we agree or disagree on everything, because we don't really agree on every single little thing. So the truth is, love is easy, right? <laughs> love comes natural, right? Yeah. No, it doesn't. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. In fact, love is not easy. Because if it was, we wouldn't have to challenge each other to love. In fact, the only time it's easy to love is when we feel warm and fuzzy. And the truth is, we don't feel warm and fuzzy all the time. In fact, most of the time, we don't feel warm and love it and, and fuzzy. Warm and lovey fuzzy. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's because God's love, it's this. God's love is a love of choice. It's not a love of emotion. So it, it's not about what you feel at the moment. It's about a choice that you make. And that's really, really important, guys. And that choice is based upon the love of God in here. But the truth is, uh, when we are surrounded by imperfect people that live in our city and that even attend our church, people who have obvious flaws, that presents a challenge because it's so easy for us to hone in on the negative and find fault. And, and, and the truth is, though, that, that when love is present, um, we don't find fault, but we just continue to believe the best. But where love is not present, uh, that's where distrust begins to creep in. You ever feel that? Distrust starts creeping in and there's this propensity to dissect the sin uh, and the shortcomings of someone else. See, when love is not present, what we tend to do is find fault uh, with others. And, and we, then we begin, <laughs> begin to create excuses on our ends why we need to create distance between us and the per that other person. But here's the challenge for us. I'm really going to challenge you guys today. Here it is. 
Peter said this. He said, above all, that means above everything else, <laughs> all, everything, love each other with depth. Depth, deeply. See that? And now he gives the reason. So it's not just a command, but there's a reason for it. And the reason actually is pretty good. It says, because love covers over a multitude of sin. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Say love covers over. Love covers over. That's actually a good thing. Think about it. Would you want your sins to be posted on the screens right now? <laughs> nope. Would you love for your sins to be covered over and then to turn off the screens? Yeah, yeah. See, because I prefer that, not only for myself, but for you as well. But, but the truth is, unfortunately, the culture as a whole is not really a culture of love because we live in a culture that loves to do the opposite, expose, publicly criticize, bring down other people. It's just American culture. You see it in politics, you see it in business, you see it in the entertainment world, and it has become our cultural pastime to pick apart other people and to then publicly post other people's failures and our disagreements with them all over social media. Um, and as much as you may even like doing some of that stuff, I challenge you today to take a second look at that and because that's not love. See, love does the opposite. Love covers over a multitude of sin. That's really something to think about. And, and now here, I want, want to be clear with you. You don't have to agree with everyone all the time to love someone. In fact, we, we say this, like at City Life Center, really our coming together is not about what we agree upon. You know, really, we come together, uh, you know, under the name of Jesus and his love pours into every single one of us. But and there are a lot of people who may not, uh, not agree with every single little aspect of how I interpret scripture. In fact, I share about that, about, about my interpretations of scripture at our, at our partnership lunch that we do every couple months. But, but, you know, you don't have to agree with me on every little thing, but that's okay. Because my fellowship with other people and our fellowship with other people as a church is not dependent upon every tiny little detail. So we absolutely must love other people, regardless of our disagreements. And, and, and here's where I think Christianity can shine its brightest. Because the truth is, if we can't figure out how to love someone, what we really need to do is let the love of Christ Jesus, which is in us, begin to flow through us and God will somehow make a way. That's when we begin to lean into God because we can't really do it on our own. That's like one of the reasons why at City Life we like to say we, we, we want to be known for what we're for, not what we're against, because that's our identity as a church. And I, I just encourage you to do the same in your own individual lives. You know, if you want to love the way Jesus loved, if you want your life to be characterized by the love of Jesus that's in you in a way that reflects the heart of Jesus, as we sang, you know, we want the heart of Jesus, then we need to pay attention to something. I want to challenge you with this. Pay attention to how you respond to people who make you feel uncomfortable. Think about it for a second. Who makes you feel uncomfortable at work? What neighbor of yours makes you feel uncomfortable? A person in this room makes you feel uncomfortable. What family member of yours makes you feel a little uncomfortable? And then think about it in a more broad scheme of things. What is the type of person in the community that makes you feel uncomfortable? 
Because if you want to truly love like Jesus did, then you, we actually have to take a good look at ourselves and how we respond to the people who make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, typically, uh, those types of people are the ones who are different from you, probably in very significant ways. And uh, this is where we have to understand people are different. There are a lot of differences around us. Uh, maybe it's the people you don't like, because you know, there are people we just don't like. I, you know, I just don't want to hang out with you. I, you can love a person, but you don't necessarily need to be their hangout buddy. You know what I'm saying? Or, or, or people you don't understand. Um, people who dress different than you. I don't know. Maybe people who, for some of you, it may just be people who live north of the Red River. It's like, no, sorry, man. You're different than me. Or people who live over in, in the city next door called D. This starts with a big D. You know, no, no, we draw the line at Tarrant County. But, or maybe people who have different beliefs or people whose lifestyles are different. Let's, let's just hone in on that one. People whose lifestyles run counter to what is in the scriptures. And I believe what's in the scriptures and I practice what's in the scriptures. So what do we do with that? Those are the people that make us feel uncomfortable. Now, honestly, I believe this. I think you, you, can, you can actually gauge your love based upon how you respond to those people. And when you begin looking at it that way, you see the challenges. And I, I'm very much challenged with it myself. A lot of you guys this last week, you took the spiritual gifts analysis. That was kind of fun. I, I, I gave it to you this Sunday and I, I saw a lot of you guys doing it on social media. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and it, it's really a simple tool to see how God has wired you. And through this, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit. And, and when we come together as a body, we actually are, are able to use them all. But, but, the, but this, this number one spiritual gift in your pocket, you know, whichever one it is, that, that top of the line spiritual gift that God has given to you, I want to tell you that that gift is nothing compared to unconditional love. Nothing. Because unconditional love is actually the greatest power that's available to us through Jesus. See, unconditional love is, here we go again, that is living a big life. Okay, let me, let me set this up for you. Paul wrote this amazing letter to a church in a town called Corinth, which is in the ancient Greek empire and uh, in, in this Greek city of Corinth. And, and right in the middle of this letter called 1 Corinthians, there's this, we've broken it down now, and there's this thing called chapter 13. And, 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 uh, and a lot of people love 1 Corinthians 13 because they say it at weddings. But Paul didn't write this because he was thinking, you know, I'm writing about all these great things to this church, but all of a sudden he got this thought, oh no, if I don't write something, down for people to say at weddings. The world could fall apart. The Bible, I, I need to write this now. So he wrote something for weddings and then went on. It's like, no, 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 that's not what Paul did. He was writing this stuff not to be read in weddings, even though that's okay, but he was writing this in this context of the whole use of spiritual gifts. So since we've been talking about spiritual gifts, let's take a look at what Paul wrote. See, the challenge is, let me, let me just set it up for you. If you read through that passage, you, you actually read through that book, you'll find that the people that were in that church, they had wrongly assumed that the gift of speaking in tongues was the highest attainment of Christianity. They thought it was the coolest and the best gift. And Paul even said, hey, man, I, I speak in tongues more than all you guys. But, but, so, but he burst their bubble saying that's... That's actually the least of all the gifts. And then Paul goes on to explain that spiritual gifts, they're, they're actually worthless unless 
we're people of love, as wonderful as spiritual gifts are. See, so you understand how significant this thing of love is? So, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of your top one, two, three spiritual gifts. What are they? Get them in your head. Get them in your head. Now, as you're getting those in your head, I want you to read what Paul wrote right here. He said this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. It's in your Bibles. Look at it. It says, if I speak in the tongues, that's the gift of tongues, of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That means I'm annoying and I'm harsh. Then he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, which is very clear what that one is, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, that's the gift of faith, that can move mountains, but I do not have love, then I'm nothing. Nothing. Zero, zilch, zip, nada. Yeah, that's, that's what he's saying there. Now he says, he goes on, he says, if I give, that's the gift of giving, all I possess to the poor, or I give over my body to hardship, that's the gift of serving, so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. That means there's no benefit for you in eternity. Uh, do you see that? There's no benefit for us in eternity if we do all these things that are with our spiritual gifts, but we're not building it on the foundation of love, if love isn't predominant. So what is love? I'm glad we asked that question. And Paul answers it for us. Let's look back at it. He goes, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Bottom line. Interesting definition, interesting conversation about the power of love. And the thing is, we, we, we tend to be um, willing to love unconditionally in our minds. We, we get it in our heads, okay, yes, but then when we start interacting with other people, all of a sudden it becomes a little more complex because it doesn't work when, the way we want it to. And, and that's where the battle lies with every single one of us. I face it just like you do as well. You, you, you want to love other people just as much as Jesus loves you, but far too often we keep a distance from those other people rather than to respond with compassion to them. And uh, in fact, if you want to see the evidence of God's supernatural activity working through you, even greater than spiritual gifts, is to see how God responds through you to love people who are very different than you. It's because God loves us without conditions, but far too often we put conditions upon how we're going to love other people. So that's our challenge. Uh, so I want to ask you this question about love. Does love condemn no, of course not. It, it doesn't. In fact, if you're living a life where you condemn others, then that's a small life. That's the opposite of a big life. In fact, one of the most oft-quoted scriptures in the Bible, John 3.16, says this, for God so loved the world, the world, the expanse, everyone, everybody, you see that? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever, 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 whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we would all agree on that. But, but you have to understand the expanse of it. That's everyone. And he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn he didn't send Jesus to come into the world to condemn the world. That means to condemn people. And there were a lot of very, very evil, bad people in his day, just like there are now. He didn't send his son to condemn them, but to save them. He, didn't want, he doesn't want one person to perish. And we have to remember that the love of Jesus came into this world because he already loved us, and he didn't come to condemn us. 
And that's, that, that's really important because so often, I mean, I, 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 I catch myself even doing it myself. I'll, sometimes I'll condemn with my words or thoughts and attitudes, and I'm learning this too, and I want to be better at it. I want more of the supernatural activity of God in my life too. So to counter this, uh, one of the things that we do is I, you know, I just want people from all walks of life to know that they feel welcome at City Life Center because my heart is that when people see that welcome mat, welcome home mat as soon as they walk into this, this little building right here is that they will literally feel at home just as much as I do. And our attitude should always be to see them as God sees them as well. Our attitude should be to love them as God loves them. And I think that's one of the most purest forms of love that I can imagine. It's just another way to live a big life. But I want that big life to not just be lived here in this building, but in your own lives everywhere as you're scattered. So how do you live a big life? Well, a good way to do it is to love your haters. Come on, you can do it. Now, I know, I know I'm getting personal here. Who are your haters? Think about them real quick. Okay, you got, they popped into your mind very fast. That worked, that worked. Okay, uh, now, now, as Jesus, though, think about this. As Jesus was dying, hanging on the cross, he prayed to the Father regarding his haters. The haters who beat him, the haters who mocked him, the haters who spat on him, the haters who hung him up publicly naked to experience a gruesomely cruel and painful death. And as Jesus was hanging there gasping for air, one of the few things that he said from the cross was this. You've heard it before. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, we sometimes brush right past that and think, oh, see, he's forgiving. But get your brain around this. What he was doing is he was saying, I want these people to be with me in eternity in heaven. I want these people who just did this to me to experience the greatest celebration in the history of eternity with me. You see, Jesus loved his haters. And come on, your haters aren't even in the same category as his haters. You see, the love required to be like Jesus invites others to the party. Guys, that's living a big life. It could be a big love life. I think we should just have a big love life. And it's a big love life is just simply doing things. It's to love God big and to love other people big. In fact, we were created to love. And, and, and when, when Jesus was one time questioned about what the greatest commandment was, he, he responded this way. He was very clear. It's about loving God and loving other people. He said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and all your prayer and all your intelligence. And we, we, we believe that. We practice that. And he says, this is most important and the first on any list. But. But Jesus wasn't asked about the second, but he threw it in. He said the second is, interestingly enough, he says it's set alongside of it. He didn't say the second is underneath it. It's alongside. Yes, it's secondary, but it's also parallel to. The two go together. You can't have one without the other. Jesus said the second is set alongside it, which is the golden rule. Love others as much as you love yourself. Then he said... These two commandments are like pegs and everything in the Law and the Prophets. In other words, everything in the Bible, every command of God, everything of living out Christianity hangs on these two pegs. That's incredible. So Jesus actually talked a lot about the golden rule, about loving our neighbors. And then, and then after this, Jesus went on to describe what it meant to love your neighbor. And that's when he gave the, uh, the parable of the good Samaritan, which means loving your neighbor means loving 
a person who's having trouble. Loving your neighbor is loving a person who's not like you. Loving your neighbor is loving a person of another religion. Loving another person is a person who is hurt. Loving that person who's hurting deeply. And we know in our minds that we do want to love all people. But the truth is it's not even possible unless we're loving God. So we have to have that in place. And then we allow his love to pour into us on a regular basis, which is one of the reasons why we come together and worship, just to keep that love relationship with God going well, first and foremost. And then the overflow is loving other people. So we not only do it here, but we do it all week long. God first, people next. In fact, all people next. It's because <clears throat> this love thing is so important because love is what actually draws people to God. It's love that draws people. I don't, I don't ever want my attitudes to convey condemnation or judgment or condescension. I, I want to be a dispenser of God's grace, and I'm still learning how to do that. I want to wear this ID badge of Christians. In fact, I think we should all wear this ID badge. It's not a literal ID badge, but it's, it identifies us, and it's this. It's this big, giant ID badge, and it's called love. Wear it. Live it. Wear love on your sleeve. <laughs> and then we should ask God how we can show his compassion to others and share it with others, understanding that God doesn't have any favorites. He doesn't. Yet at the same time, you're his favorite. You, you personally, you're his favorite. And at the same time, that person that really gets on your nerves is also his favorite. So wrap up, there's the scripture is just uh, strong in my heart. <clears throat> Jesus said, a new command I give to you. He said, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus said this as the communion elements were being distributed for the very first time. There's this connection that he was trying to get into the heart of his followers regarding even the communion elements and this thing of loving other people. He gave this command just before he was about to be assaulted, wrongly arrested, beaten, and executed by his own haters that he then invites to the eternal party. And see, guys, that is one of the things we're supposed to remember when we partake of communion. That's what we're about to do right now because unconditional love is living a big life. I'm still learning it. I want it to grow in me because restrictive attitudes always shrink our lives. Would you close your eyes for a moment and focus internally? And if you want to know this Jesus that I talk about, and you want to have a clean slate and live your life with a new sense of purpose, I want to give you an opportunity to respond this afternoon. If you want to be included in this closing prayer that I'm going to pray and make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and, and also participate in communion in just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to very simply raise your hand now and say, Pastor, I want you to pray. Remember me as you pray. Thank you. Who else? I want you to pray with me. Thank you. Great. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand, I, I want you, but I also want everyone who's in this room 
to simply pray these words with me. Come on, say them with me right now. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the son of God. Please forgive my sin. Today I give up my past and I embrace the future that you have for me. I receive your love and I choose to release your love to everyone around me. In Jesus' name, amen. 